So um, the nation of Israel is preparing uh, to enter into uh, the, the promised land, into Canaan. Uh, this is the younger generation. Um, some of them did see, we often say that, that, you know, all of the previous generation, the Lord puts that cutoff at 20 years old. So all of those that came out of captivity in Egypt that were 20 years old and above that uh, had experienced all of those things, they've all since passed away. And the younger generation, which may have some of them seen some of those things, but they, they were, we would perhaps say, not accountable yet. They've grown and, and now they've come to that place where they're going to enter into the land of Canaan. And uh, in so doing, the law uh, is being recounted uh, to them. This uh, Deuteronomy, the Deutimus, the, the second occasion of the law is uh, being recounted to them so that when they go in, they have the clarity and the understanding that's necessary. The Lord uh, modifies a couple of uh, circumstances for them because their circumstances are going to be different than the older generation, which has passed away. So just uh, mild modifications, nothing that uh, contradicts the law or changes things uh, in any way. So uh, here at verse 1 of chapter 14, uh, the Lord says, You are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourself nor shave the front of your head uh, for the dead. Uh, it may say in your version, you know, you may not create a baldness uh, between your eyes. Uh, this isn't some prohibition on, you know, eyebrow plucking or something of that nature. Uh, the the pagans uh, in the communities around them had a uh, method of uh, honoring the dead that was part of pagan worship. And uh, the Lord is saying uh, that you can't do that. You, As a believer, as a follower of Jehovah, uh, a worshiper of the one true living God, you can't do things in your morning or your religious practices, or even ceremonially, that pertain to false gods. You have to avoid those things altogether. Now, there is some debate as we move through this over a couple of the things that are listed and mentioned here. And uh, honestly, I don't know why people, other than pride, uh, debate so heavily uh, about some of the issues, you know, well, what is the baldness that's being referred to here? And, you know, this group thinks they've got it all right. And that group thinks they've got it all right. And, you know, later we're going to talk about, you know, boiling the meat of a young goat or a young lamb in the milk of its mother. And it has to do with pagan practices. And then all of the scholars want to decide, you know, who's right on the assessment of what those things meant and a lot of that junk. I find that all comes back to pride with the debates and the arguments and the online nonsense. Everybody wants to be, you know, the greatest scholar that ever lived so that, you know, their little group that follows them. It's the same things that the apostles were arguing about, right? You know, they're walking around with Jesus, creator of all things, arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. You know, today we just argue about who's going to be the greatest on the Internet. It's it's a who's got more followers? Who's got? It's just silly. It's it's rooted in pride. What needs to be derived from this? I think is is right on the front end. You can see it uh, pretty plainly as we uh, read through. So continuing with this idea um, that you shall not cut yourself nor shave the front of your head for the dead, you'll remember uh, the uh, occasion where. Elijah is confronting the prophets of Baal, and uh, they're all leaping around and screaming and cutting themselves as, as part of their effort to summon up the power of their entity so that their altar will be ignited with fire. This was a common pagan uh, practice. Um, I find some correlations uh, today in uh, you know people that abuse themselves in cutting. 
there, there is a, a demonic element, a self-destructive element, a godless element to that. Uh, you know, if, if you have participated in that or know someone, I'm not saying anything especially derogatory. Uh, uh, the other direction, I would say there's an answer for that that is found in Jesus Christ. That, that you know, whatever compulsion a person might have that would urge them towards that type of behavior, uh, there's a fulfillment that's found in Christ that would deliver us from such a thing. So, uh, you know, you can root around in these things and find origins and make speculations, and okay, you know, I, I get some of that. Uh, but in the end, uh, really, what are we, we're looking for the solution, amen? We're, we're, not, we're not so much looking for what is the source of this thing. I think that's a lot of the problem in what, you know, is referred to as modern Christian counseling, is everybody wants to sit around and study their past until they've discovered, oh, this is, you know, what happened to me in my youth, and that's why I behave this way and that way. <clears throat> I mean, okay, I, I'm not opposed, I'm not even opposed to that. I'm just saying, I think that there's a greater solution on the other end of, I don't mean to be callous, but who cares how you got there? Okay, you you figured out that you're in a place that you need to be delivered from. Okay, and, and Christ has that, and 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 you know this room is largely full of people who have been delivered <laughs> by Christ from those things. So if you know if you struggle or know someone that does, um, you know nothing nothing greater as far as counseling goes uh, than talking to someone who's been there. You know that 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 is very very helpful. Uh, you know, you, I remember years ago uh, when I was struggling with uh, drug addiction and alcoholism. Before I was walking with the Lord at all, I was in a counseling group, and uh, you know, group of us teens all listening to this person for months. Uh, we became aware in the moment some things that were said. Of wait a minute. You as a counselor, have you ever struggled with drug addiction or alcoholism? And oh, awkward few moments until they finally confessed. No, and we were all done listening. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just like you, you know, you haven't ever been where we are at. And, and there's you know a lot to be said for what Corinthians is saying about comforting the world with the comfort wherewith by we ourselves have been comforted. You know what the Lord has done in our lives. Very powerful in working in other people's lives. So, you know, don't be overly ashamed about your past. Uh, let it be useful uh, to the Lord. Verse 2. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now, we've gotten clarity on this issue already in Deuteronomy the Lord has said, and I'm using modern vernacular and paraphrasing, that God didn't say, you know, oh, it's because you were just so cool. I just say, hey, you were so awesome, I had to have you. Uh, it, it was the opposite. The Lord said, I chose you because you were so insignificant. You were so meaningless that in choosing you and performing my work and my will in your lives, the world would be astonished. And that is how I am glorified, is by what I have done in your life. And and for some of us, that's a major letdown. Because our biggest struggle, our biggest sin, our biggest problem is pride. We have this mentality of, you know, I'm something really neat, and God just needs to get his mind wrapped around that, and then we'll be able to do spectacular things together. And uh, it's, it's the exact opposite, is... You know, every single one of us, and maybe you've got gifts and characteristics and, you know, wonderful things, right? Not many <laughs> rich, not many wise, not, ma not many. There are a few of us that, that, that uh, you know, the Lord has chosen you and used you because of how special you are. For the rest of us, it's, it's because of the lowliness uh, that Christ has chosen us and is using us in the process. And if we're struggling with pride right now and we don't like that, well, that's a wonderful opportunity because you can humble yourself and then the Lord can use you. And you can say, see, I was a terribly prideful person. <laughs> and Christ used me despite the fact that I was so prideful. 
It's a beautiful thing that the Lord wants to choose us as a special treasure and and make us uh, his own and, uh, you know, glorify himself in the process. Verse 3, you shall not eat any detestable thing. I love that commandment right there. You know, it's just why bother if it's a detestable thing? Um, you know, eat the good stuff. And he gets very particular uh, here about these things. Now, before we move on, right, we get this uh, neat list of uh, clean and unclean things. There are people inside even Christianity today who want to go with clean and unclean and what you should and what you shouldn't eat. Right, and we hear about the maker's diet, and we hear, you know, about books like, you know, none of these diseases and all this different stuff. Okay, well, a couple of things about this. We'll get to the punchline before the end of the passage, but to begin with, clean and unclean began with Noah, right? It isn't the law that does this. So before God puts restrictions on anything, He says to Noah, "Now, when you bring the animals in." I want you to bring in, right, clean and unclean animals according to their numbers. And he gives very specific outlines to that whole thing. And then we move through all of this Levitical law and all of this history. And then you get out into Acts chapter 10, right? And God says, everything's edible. So, you know, if you're planning on sushi this afternoon or lobster, uh, you're good to go. There's no biblical restraint anymore on any of these things. And then people want to go, oh, well, right, because that's, you know, the modern practices of preparation and refrigeration and all that stuff. Uh, no, because we were still in the ancient world when God told Peter it was okay to eat those things. Okay. <clears throat> there is no restriction. And what's more significant, I think, my opinion, is there's no benefit Okay, you know, okay. You want to say health benefit? Okay, I'll, let's let's have the discussion. We'll sit down and you can pour over the science and I'll listen and I'll learn from it. Okay, but here's the real issue that people are wrestling with is they insist upon a spiritual benefit. Like if you eat lobster this afternoon, you're not slightly further away from God. Okay, or if you eat a ruminating ungulate, you know, split hoof and choose the cud, you're not a little closer to God this afternoon. If you eat both of them, then let me know where you're going to be, surf and turf. I like that idea. That's a good idea. So God's into barbecue also. So anyway, um, here, don't eat the detestable things. These are the animals which you may eat. The ox, see, I'm on board 100%. I think that's a great idea. The sheep, still like the menu, you know. The goat, okay, you lost me a little bit, but anyway, I'm liking it. The deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the mountain goat, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. And my goodness, don't the commentaries divide over what each one of those things mean. You read, oh, well, in the King James and on the Septuagint, and, you know, the Hyrex and the this and the that. And I think we could debate endlessly on some of these issues in the way that the languages have changed throughout it. He gets... Uh, pretty simple in bringing down to the clean and the unclean here in just a moment. So we needn't worry too much about what animals we're referring to here. You may eat every animal with cloven hooves, the split hoof, having the split in two parts. Right? Not, not more than that, not five you know, toed animals. And that chews the cud among the animals. Um, dwell on chew the cud for a minute. Uh, it has a lot of spiritual application. Um, within the animal kingdom, uh, simply uh, means that that whole thing, and, and there's some debate about that. You know, is, is this an animal that has two stomachs or the one that has five stomachs? Or is it, you know, they get all kinds of different definitions based upon what it actually means to chew the cud. Simply put, it's the redigestion process where the animal eats it, takes it all the way in to its digestion, and I'll be blunt, regurgitates it back up into their mouth, rechews and digests their food all over again. Okay, 
And some of the, the processes that are described here, like we get to the rabbit and all the critics for a long time insisted, see, the Bible has no idea what it's talking about. Rabbits don't chew the cud and they got all of this stuff. So therefore, you know, you can just throw out the virgin birth and, you know, the redemption of the cross because, you know, rabbits don't chew the cud. And then they discover rabbits do chew the cud, you know, in the most disgusting way possible you know they eat the food and they have a soft white pellet that makes the first pass through and they eat that again and then when you see that hard brown pellet that comes out that's you know second or third pass for the rabbit by the time so it is chewing the cud it's just doing it in a different way and uh, you know then everybody has to sit back and go oh well I'll go, they chew the cud but you know I you were wrong, is the point. The scripture understood these things before science understood them. So we, we often say that, don't we? We say, oh, see, science confirms the Bible. Well, well let's be clear, okay? <clears throat> the Bible confirms science. Right? The more you know the scripture, the more you're going to understand that the things we don't understand about creation, God has already revealed them in his word. And over time, uh, you know, we'll finally catch up with the Word of God. It'll be a beautiful thing, as Paul said there in 1 Corinthians, when we stand in his presence and we know things in the same way that we are presently known by him. He's going to impart that wisdom to us. So that'll be a beautiful thing. Here, presently, got to have the split hoof. So can't be multi-toed. Got to be split in two and has to chew the cud. Chew the cud. Ruminate. That's also where we get the word for meditation, okay? And uh, the Lord wants us doing that. So spiritually, digesting things, consuming them, taking them all the way into ourselves, bringing them all the way back up. And here's, here's the thought, all the way back up to your mouth, okay? There's a practice I was taught as a young Christian, and I find it very helpful, and that's to read the word of God quietly, out loud, alone. And what I was taught was that when you do this, there's an amazing process that's going on inside your body because the Word of God is going in through your eye, processed through your mind. It's coming out of your mouth, and it's going back into your own ear, which brings it back into your mind and processes it again. So reading out loud is very helpful to retaining the word of God. Morning, noon, and night, we hear that repeatedly in the scripture. David, Psalm chapter 1, talking about, blesses the man who walks down to the counsel of the ungodly, but his delight shall be in the law of the Lord, and in his law he shall meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water, brings forth its fruit in its season, his leaf does not wither. <clears throat> we, morning and noon and night, bringing it all the way back up to your mouth where you speak it again. So, you know, I recommend to people that are starting to develop this habit, there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. I find it relatively easy, especially when we begin in the faith, to read one chapter a day. And uh, if you miss a day or skip a day or a few, and you remember, I need to get back on track. You don't have to go back and recoup a bunch of days that you missed. Just what's the date? Just go to that Proverbs and uh, read that one. So, you know, read the 8th today. And and then don't even spend a bunch of time trying to be deep and philosophical and spiritual. What, what stands out to you? Is it one verse? Is it a few verses? The whole chapter? Is it a section? Well, if that really stands out to you, at noon, go back there. And do it again. Bring it back up. And then before you go to bed that evening, do it one more time. And the next day, chapter 9 and 10. And just get in the practice. Eventually, you need to read a whole lot more. You need to pray a whole lot more. But develop the practice, right? And we've all done that with different things where you start out with a little. And then when you leave off it, you're, there's something missing. And you feel compelled. And you got to go back. And you go back and there. I feel better now. Things are good and things are right. You've got to do that with the Word of God. The habitual practice of developing the habit of being where you should be. 
with your, your life surrounded in the word, ruminating, right? Chewing over and over again, meditating. They are one and the same in the scripture. That's the same word. Meditation and rumination are the same word as far as the redigestion process. And we are commanded. You already do meditate. I've talked about this before. If you're thinking I'm not really a person that's like you do. I know you do. I, I guarantee at some point you've been driving down the road and you're having an argument with a person that is not even there. Right? Yeah, well, if you said that, then I'd say it. Right? You're, you're regurgitating. You're redigesting the conversation that you had earlier or the one you haven't even had yet, but you really want to have. You're going over and over it. See, you are meditating upon something. You saw a movie, and your mind is just replaying and replaying and replaying. There's a fascination that's going on. You were designed by God to meditate. So you've got to steer that into the Word of God so that the meditation becomes upon the Word of God. And then that produces a fruitfulness in the Spirit and a fruitfulness unto our Lord. So practice the process of ruminating and chewing the cud. Nevertheless, of those that chew the cud or have the cloven hooves, you shall not eat such as these. The camel. Why would you ever want to? <clears throat> if, if you've been within three feet of a camel, you know why you should not eat them. <clears throat> just They smell terrible. Um, so uh, the camel, that's, that's survival food, really, when you get down to that point. The camel, the hare, the rocks, hyrex. For they chew the cud, but do not have the cloven hooves and the rabbits and the hyrex, as I described moments ago. Uh, they are unclean for you. Also, the swine is unclean for you because it has cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh or touch their dead carcasses. And everybody really jumps on the bandwagon of, oh, see, you know, those pigs, I'm telling you, Bacon, that'll kill you, those BLTs. You want to stay away from that stuff. You know, you're going to end up with, you know, trichinosis or something. Like, <clears throat> yeah, well, how about mad cow disease? Right? I mean, you know, as much as the CDC says that no one within the U.S. has ever contracted, especially unto death, and that's not true. Right? Uh, you can look up medical records, and people within the U.S. have died from eating cows. The whole point is you receive it with thanksgiving and you pray the Lord's blessing upon it and maybe you even want to supersize it and then just consume. You know what I'm saying? It's not really. I mean, look, everybody's like, well, but, you know, unhealthy and, and you know, heart disease. And yeah, right. You know, ten out of ten people die. The statistics are alarmingly high, you know. No one gets out alive, man. I mean, you want to? Great. That's wonderful. I appreciate it. I'll accept whatever knowledge, wisdom, and guidance you want to give me. I need some of it. Um, you know, I understand that. It doesn't make us any closer to God. It doesn't make us any closer to God. You guys, you hear a lot about Alzheimer's and all this stuff lately. You hear, you hear that? All the connections. It's, it's vaccines. It's, it's this. It's, you, know what? you know what the biggest thing they're realizing it is? is we're living longer. That's what's going on, right? Uh, the average age, even just 40 years ago, you know, 60s, 70, you know, average age right now, 90s getting to be pretty regular. The mind is breaking down by the time you get to 60, right? Uh, some of us can attest to that far more than others in this room. And I'm talking about the spouses who are living with those people, you know what I'm saying? Uh, just the, the stuff that we're forgetting and where to just, you know, I heard a joke years ago. Uh, two old guys <clears throat> meet up and they're talking about all the things they're going through and they get on the subject of forgetfulness. And uh, one of the guys says, oh, I, I had that problem, but I found this doctor and uh, he gave me this this method and I don't I don't have that problem anymore. And his friend is like, really? Like, at all? No, no problem. Well, what's his method? He's like, uh, well, it's, it's word association. So you just, like, you have to you have to immediately, you know, realize what's going on. 
and like you know if you put your car keys down somewhere you gotta you know just build a little rhythm of car keys on the table by the door you know car keys on the table by the door just do that and maybe you just like that's the only place you're going to keep them so that it's not just it's a, an actual physical associate you got to develop this and uh he's like oh uh, really so is your doctor accepting new patients you know i mean could he help me out and and the guy's like yeah yeah he, he's taking new patients and he's like oh so so who's your doctor what's his name he's like oh that's um hey, wait a minute no i've got it i've got it it's uh it's like uh, oh no it's a flower it's a flower that's what it is. It's a, it's a, oh, it's a red flower and it has thorns. And the guy's like, Rose? He's like, yeah, Rose, what's the name of that doctor? So, you know. I didn't say that it was a good one. I just, you know. So anyway, um, the mind breaks down. And, you know, if we live longer... You know, every, everybody's, you know, acting like this is some new thing. I mean, go back thousands of years, average lifespan, 35 years old. Okay. You know, you're, you, now you know why people were getting married at 15. For real. You know, get out, get married 15 uh, because you, you've already reached, you know, midlife crisis. <laughs> I mean, serious. Uh, today, you know, average lifespans being in the 80s, being in the 90s. Uh, the law, the, the law of God, the curse that is on humanity of death, right? Our, our, our bodies, our minds are breaking down. Uh, entropy is happening everywhere. Everything is breaking down. You, you know, the longer you want to live, the more you're going to have to experience that breakdown. You know, I, I want to live longer for my kids and my grandkids and that's it. And, you know, maybe I'll enjoy the Tonka trucks more as the years go by. I don't know. You know, just hanging out with those little guys or whatever. But the present right for, for, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So, so this stuff here, we shouldn't look at this, especially through the lens of I'm going to be more spiritual, closer to God if I have all of these particular dietary you know restraints and constraints so if, you, if you're doing it for health reasons um you know great wonderful you know encourage i encourage that i think the scripture encourages that but as far as some necessity in order to know god better that's not in the scripture at all in fact the scripture very much contradicts that uh, idea that concept so here swine is unclean because it has a cloven hoof yet it does not chew the cud you shall not eat their flesh nor touch their dead carcasses. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. You may eat all that have fins and scales. And so, you know, some of those eel uh, class don't fit in there and a whole bunch of other things don't fit into this classification. Whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. All clean birds you may eat, but these you shall not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the red kite, and there are uh, different um, classifications and interpretations of the kite uh, and the kite after their kinds, every raven after its kind, the ostrich. Uh, some people say that that's exceptionally good meat. Uh, so if you get an opportunity, the short-eared owl, uh, the seagull, why would you ever want to? But, and the hawk after their kind. The little owl. So, you know, for all you guys like little owls, then they're safe. The screech owl, they're annoying. So, you know, you might want to eat one. The white owl, uh, the jackdaw, the carrion vulture, the fisher owl, the stork. Of course, because you got to have all the little kids. So you don't, don't eat the storks. The heron after its kind. And the hoopoe and the bat. I mean, clearly you would not want to eat a bat other than to make money on some, you know, fear factor television show or something weird like that. The, the restraints that God is uh, putting on all of these right here, there are dietary considerations within all of it. Um, and, but the idea of disease and all of that stuff God is saying spiritually, ceremonially, clean or unclean. And he has his motivations there. Verse 19, also, every creeping thing that flies 
is unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. That's uh, a lot of the stuff inside the bug class that he's talking about. You know, if you look at it and think, oh, that is a creeping thing, and then it flies, can't eat it, right? So, you know, if you were like creeping thing, but then it flies and you're like, oh, I could eat that. You know, Scripture's putting uh, some kind of obstacle in the way. Verse 21, you shall not eat anything that dies of itself. That's a good policy. Uh, you may give it to the alien, uh, and that's the foreigner from another country and not someone who landed in Roswell, New Mexico, who is within your gates that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And I'll deal with that last one uh, separately. So with with this idea, and you really got to grasp this, right? Because God, th this clean and unclean issue that so many within Christianity deal with and cling to and try to place burdens on people and restrictions and invent whole religions based around these things. Uh, it's important for us to understand, like right within what we just read, there's a concept. God relays to the nation of Israel that he loves the foreigners, right? He wants them to come into Israel. Uh, forget the whole politics of borders and crisis and stuff that's going on right now. That is a load of political foolishness that is so stupid it's not even funny. Answers are very simple there, and uh, people should just be following what was designed within our system. But, but go with a biblical concept here for a minute, right? God loves the foreigners from outside Israel, and he wants them to have free passage into Israel, but they must join Israel in their worship of God. God says, come on in. Anybody can come in. You know, wants them to come on. Even those that are fleeing masters, slaves that are fleeing masters from foreign countries, God says, let them come in. Embrace them. Make them part of your culture. Make them, but they must embrace God as the one true living God. Leave your religion at the border is what God says. You can come here, but inside Israel, God says, we only worship me. That's it. No, nothing else inside the country. And then he goes through these great pains of saying, take care of them. Give them jobs. Give them food. Give them homes. Make sure they're taken care of so that it's an attraction to them to worship the God of the people who are being so generous to them. Okay? So keep that in mind when he says right here that you can give them these animals to eat. That's part of God's loving program. He said of his people, I don't want you to eat these. Why? It's a spiritual thing. There's some spiritual element to that that God says that's outside the bounds. But for anybody who by nature would eat these things, welcome them into your country and allow them to have them. You know, I don't know how roadkill becomes a blessing, but, you know, right here, that's what the Lord is literally saying. These people would consume it, allow them to have it. Within that, if you tune your ear to the Lord, what you end up hearing is God's love for those people. His, his care and his concern. That last statement, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Lots of speculation about what does this mean and why was it done and how do we apply it today. Uh, the nation of Israel, for a very long time, would not allow McDonald's inside the nation of Israel because McDonald's would not reveal to them their recipe for their cheese because in Israel you can't get cheese on a burger because in their mind if you eat this then you have the dairy the milk and you might have the cow that the milk came from and you'd in your stomach be boiling the cow in the milk okay that's just weird but anyway that was their take on it so they literally said, you can be here as a corporation, but we'll tell you how to make your cheese, which will be a non-dairy cheese. And, you, and I'm not making this up for a, for a long time. It was McDavid's in Israel. They've since revealed to the uh, Israeli government their formula for cheese. It's non-dairy. And now they're all McDonald's. So you, you can go to McDonald's 
it's ridiculously expensive uh, to go to McDonald's in Israel. But you can get a cheeseburger uh, in Israel. What we do know is that the pagan cultures of the day had a practice where they worshipped the fertility gods, which also, for them, incorporated their crops, right? Reproduction and the fruitfulness of the land. And a practice was that you would take the milk from a mother cow and you would butcher her calf and boil the whole carcass inside the milk of the mother and then you would usually on the four corners of your property you would dig holes and you would pour out this broth boiled calf and milk into the, and bury them there as a sacrifice to the fertility gods and it was supposed to bless your crops once again i think it's much more likely that what God was saying is do not participate in the pagan forms of worship. Don't, don't, you know, if you're, if your crops are failing and your pagan neighbor is saying, well, what you really ought to do is, you know, boil one of your calves in the mother's milk and perform the ceremony. And then your crops would flourish. You know, I, I think it likely that what the Lord is saying is don't do that. Same as in the beginning of don't cut yourself or shave the front of your head as part of honoring the dead in their pagan worship. It seems much more likely. I say seems because there are great arguments on both sides of this amongst the scholars of what did this act? Was this some dietary restraint or was this some religious restraint? I think it much more likely that it was a religious restraint and God was saying, don't participate right people do this They're, they call themselves christians but then they you know go see a fortune teller because they just they weren't getting the answers that they needed in prayer so you know a crystal ball was definitely going to be a clearer thing you know right astronomy astrology all this different stuff you know i've got crystals all over the house because I, you just don't get the clarity in prayer that they need uh, you know right we go back to elijah you know choose you this day who you will serve Right? I mean, are you worshiping the God of the Bible or are you a pagan? You can't have both worlds. You know, you do that sort of stuff. You corrupt both worlds in the process. The clarity of all of this dietary restraint we've already talked about, but I want to read Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 11. Peter, right, in Joppa, had the opportunity uh, to stand at the doorway of this house uh, when we were, went to Israel. And we saw Peter there. He was uh, uh, meditating and in prayer. And uh, he sees heaven open and an object like a great, it should say sail. If you get the opportunity to go to Israel and see this location, uh, you know, the, the sails and the ships and the sea, the ocean is right there. And the house is right here. They just You're going to be seeing this. You've probably had those experiences where you go to a certain place and then in your dreams is like all of the environment that you're you know being introduced to uh, Peter is having a vision of a sail uh, and that's literally how it is in the original language I saw heaven open objects like a great sheet a sail bound at the four corners descending to him let down to the earth and it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth wild beasts creeping things and birds the idea of everything that we just Red that was prohibited, it's all inside this sail. And a voice came to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. God opens up the whole menu at, at that point. So if you're a huge sushi fan, uh, you don't have to sneak around with your chopsticks. Just enjoy, you know, California roll with a little salmon and, you know, right amount of wasabi and soy sauce is just preferable on my menu. But anyway, um, you know, God isn't holding any restrictions anymore, and we, we are not under the law in this way. Back to their discussion in verse 22, you shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain 
that the field produces year by year. Keep a close watch. Now, um, when the Lord tells them to tithe one-tenth of their grain, and he tells them that he wants them uh, to give the first fruits, it's important to understand that God is not saying, so uh, when you start your harvest, that first 10% is mine. That's not what he's saying at all. He's literally saying, I want you to go through all of your crops. I want you to find the absolute best portion of your crop. And I want you to harvest the 10% of your entire crop that belongs to me out of that singular best portion. So the first fruit is not the idea of what comes in first. It's the idea of the best and most choice fruit that 10% belongs to me. Uh, there's a great blessing in the process if we will trust the Lord this way. Uh, you know, I understand that tithing is not a mandate of the New Testament. Um, you know, people um, sometimes hear me teaching on this issue and they, they think, oh, well, you know, that guy is saying that you have to tithe uh, as a New Testament. I'm not saying that at all. You know, uh, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. You know, if we can't give to him willfully and cheerfully, then the Lord doesn't want it. You know, if 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 we're giving it to him begrudgingly, uh, we'd be, be we would be better off uh, to just uh, keep it in the process. I know this that the Lord doesn't revoke any of the blessings that He incorporates into the Old Testament. So if we will cooperate with Him with our abundance. Uh, he promises that he will multiply that back to us. You know, the just shall live by faith, right? Um, this was one of the first lessons I learned as a young Christian struggling financially. When, when my wife and I first got married and uh, had our first little apartment uh, together, I was making $188 a week. That was my net uh, take home. And uh, that's what we survived on, $188 a week. Man. Take 18, 20 bucks out of that every week was like pulling teeth at first. And then I read what was being said in Malachi about the Lord saying, just trust me in this. And he even goes as far as saying, test me now in this. And if you will uh, trust me and give one tenth, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour it on, on you on such abundance that you will not be able to contain it. And wouldn't you know it? Sure enough, that's what he did in my life and in our marriage. And we've trusted him uh, all the way uh, through the process. So here you set aside the tithe uh, of your grain uh, that the field produces year by year. You shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide, which ultimately ends up being Jerusalem. They go, uh, you know, Shiloh and then, uh, you know, uh, I forget the second place and then, you know, eventually settled into Jerusalem uh, there. And uh, so the, the place where he establishes the tabernacle and then ultimately the temple and uh, they are to bring the tithe of grain and the new wine and your oil uh, the firstborn of your herds and your flocks and you may learn to fear the Lord your God always but if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you then the Lord your God has um, when the Lord your God has blessed you, um, then you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses. So two factors within this, right? They're not in the land yet. And God is saying, when I bless you and you are in the land. So there's, there's the promise of God that all that I have uh, promised to you is coming to you. So, you know, when... When we are seeing the blessings of the Lord fulfilled in our lives, it's easier to trust him than when you can't see them, you know, when you're struggling. So brace yourself, right, for the days where you, you jump up and say, I'm going to, you know, trust the Lord in this matter. And, you know, you can see the Lord fulfilling those things, and it just seems so wonderful and easy. Uh, be prepared for those things to dry up. Because uh, the Lord is going to allow you to be tested to see, do you trust him always? You know, are you going to trust him even when it's difficult? When it's easy to trust him, 
not even really trust, is it? When it's difficult to trust him, that's where it becomes faith. So, you know, you trust the Lord and the process and takes care of it. This statement about when it's too far away, um, it has more to do with God wanting his gift preserved. Okay? If you're going to drag a little lamb on a leash from the Lebanese border in the far north all the way down to Jerusalem, by the time you get to Jerusalem, that little lamb might not be much to offer to the Lord. You're going to wear that thing out in the process. Uh, the Lord is saying, you know, when it's more beneficial to me to make this conversion. Uh, you know, uh, so very uh, a, a, an example, and I don't mean, I don't have anybody in mind. I'm not poking or picking at anybody. But sometimes I see people where the Lord calls them to serve him. And they go, couldn't I just give 20 bucks? Easier, you know, on them to just, you know, give something financially rather than do themselves. Oh, hey, you guys, getting involved, it makes you be around people. And you go, right, that's my whole point. <laughs> Being around people is so good for them and for us. Right, as iron sharpens iron, so does the countenance of man sharpen his friend. Right, iron sharpening iron. Uh, I don't know if you've ever witnessed that happening, but there are sparks involved, right? And there is grinding involved, and there is loss involved in that. The rough edges are knocked off, right. When we hang out with ourselves, we like ourselves pretty well, and we put up with ourselves so patiently. <laughs> and as a result, we develop things that shouldn't happen. Proverbs tells us that the man who isolates himself seeks his own desires, and he rages against all sound judgment. Being around other people will sharpen you and soften you and make you more useful to the Lord. Uh, let the Lord speak to your heart about this whole process you know you you have the uh process the lord here says you can exchange it take the money in your hand and go to the place which the lord your god chooses and you shall spend the money for whatever your heart desires meaning for the sacrifice you're going to purchase when you get there for oxen or sheep or wine or similar drink and whatever your heart desires listen if you have a king james version or another version that says for wine or strong drink Okay, I want to be clear that the strong drink mentioned there is probably beer. Okay, and I don't mean to like excite a whole bunch of beer drinkers about alcohol and the use and you know the worship of the Lord. Uh, this culture used alcohol in a dramatically diluted way. Okay. The cultures around them used it in a similar way that our culture uses it. Okay, But table wine of the day was not distilled wine. It rarely reached 15%. Right? It was just literally grape juice left in the fridge too long. Isn't that a joyous thing to experience? When you reach in and think you're having a nice fresh glass of grape juice and, you, and you're literally thinking, I didn't even know we had grape juice. Right, because it's been in the back of the fridge for over a month. And you slog that back, and you go, oh, that's not grape juice. Why? Because it's turned to vinegar. And the spiky feeling, that that's that what? You know, 3% to 6% alcohol. They would take that and dilute it 50-50 in water. So half a gallon of that fermented Grape juice in half a gallon of water, the, uh, that extremely low alcohol content kept the bacteria from growing because they would go out, draw their water, bring it back to the house, and it would sit stagnant on the counter all day. So the extremely low alcohol content kept the bacteria from growing that would give them intestinal problems. Yeah, I'm not like going through hoops to get here. I'm just saying to you, when you see Jesus drinking wine, it's that. 50-50 table wine, right? Jump 
all the way up to Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit falls and everybody says, these guys are drunk. What does Peter say? We couldn't possibly be drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Right? For some of us that were alcoholics, we're thinking, I could get drunk by 9 o'clock in the morning. You know what i Why? Because with table wine, yes, people did get intoxicated by accident. But it was when they had been drinking it all day. And then you stand up quick and, woohoo, hey, I've had too much to drink. Okay? It, it isn't a matter of drunkenness like our culture has. Strong drink, you're talking about a fermented yeast drink. That was diluted. Okay, so you can wrestle with that whole thing. Do your own research. Be a scholar yourself and decide what the scripture is saying. But don't read that and think, oh, God likes it when people bring, you know, bourbon whiskey to, uh, you know, sacrifice to the Lord. That's not where God is at at all, right? Over and over and over and over throughout the scripture, God is saying, avoid drunkenness. Be sober. Have a clarity of mind. God never, never, right? Liberty or license. Liberty or license, right? A license allows you to do something, right? Couldn't drive, but then I got my license and now I can drive, right? Christ did not give us a license to sin. Hey, grace of God, here you go, kid. Just have a ball. Here's your life. That's not what God did. He gave us liberty. Isn't that the same thing? No, liberty is when you were in prison and he shows up with the keys and says, let me liberate you. And he unlocks the door and lets you out. You were imprisoned in your sin. Drunkenness may have been one of those things for many of us. Christ has liberated us from these things. He's not given us license to do these things. Don't let anyone lead you astray with their nutty teaching about these things. So if you bring uh, the money into Jerusalem and there make your purchase, you can bring wine or other similar things. Whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice. You and your household, you shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates for he has no part nor inheritance with you. So we'll look at those two things. The eating and taking part. Many of the sacrifices were threefold. They would come and make the presentation to the priest. And the priest would divide whatever was being given into three portions. A portion was burned to God. A portion was given to the priest. And a portion was then given back to the person who had brought the gift. God consumed his by burning it in the fire. The priest would eat of his roasted in the fire, and then the individual would eat of their own that had been given back to them. The concept is that that, that three-part group is sharing a meal together. God is saying, I want to be in fellowship with you. Come to Jerusalem. Worship me there. We'll all eat our portion. It'll be a wonderful, joyous celebration as we're all being united in this. The second thing of the mention of the Levites, the Levites were the tribe of Israel that was to lead the people in worship of God. And they, as a result of having that responsibility, they received no land as their personal inheritance. They were given places to live amongst each of the tribes, and then there, where they were located, all of the Levites together would be assigned a portion of land that they could farm in order to get the things they needed to from the land, but that didn't even belong to them individually. It was a common ground tilling of the soil to provide for their needs. Here, the Lord is saying because they don't have any land and they don't have any inheritance, and they don't have anything to leave their children then it's your responsibility as a people to take care of those Levites. And it isn't even so much the concept of, <clears throat> I want those Levites to have abundance as it is. I want them to be well off and healthy enough that they don't have to concern themselves with these earthly things so that they can continue to lead you spiritually. I, I want them to have the freedom to know me and worship me and lead you as a nation in knowing me and worshiping me. There's a great 
process. And, and, and the, the reason that people react in the opposite direction so dramatically is because of the sinful abuses, right? You turn on the television, and <clears throat> I, I think I mentioned last week, I hate to mention it, but you're going to go home and search uh, uh, preachers in sneakers and preachers in watches, right? Because, you know, here these guys are looking all cool and suave and fog machines and amazing band and you know, they just look really slick, and then you discover that the guy's traipsing back and forth on the stage with $12,000 sneakers on. $12,000. T- $24,000. $58,000 watches. Preachers and sneakers, preachers and watches. <clears throat> you could start many churches. Many churches with the money spent on their wardrobes. It's, it's a sick and twisted thing. Okay, incredibly sinful. I get it. The abuses that are out there. Okay, but what God is saying right here to obedient priests and obedient nation is, I want you to make worship of me central in your lives. I want you to invest in that, right? You know, I I just talking with my wife about the cars we've had. And, uh, you know, I, I look back and just shudder at, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I had my family in that car you know, driving from here to my mother-in-law's place in New Hampshire. What was I thinking? You know, well, I'm sure that's what she was thinking at the time. It's just how, how dare you bring my kids down here? You know, just, uh, you know, and today, you know, I have a totally different standard. Why? <clears throat> because it's that concept of I want my family to have good, safe things. And to care for, I invest in those. I will neglect other things in order to provide what is going to create that safety and that stability. And so it should be with our culture that, that the worship of Jesus Christ is a primary thing, a primary concern in our lives, that we're investing in that, in our, in our homes, our lives, our communities, in order for them to be central. I had a conversation with a pastor a few years ago who they were building a new church building and he was ahead of the game because he knew some of the selectmen in the town and knew that they were looking at their acquisition of the land and the building as a tax loss, right? So there, you know, the town is looking at it like, well, we can't tax that piece of land and anything that you build on it, we can't tax that at least to the same degree we could other places. So for them, it's a financial loss. Well, he showed up at the town meeting with a complete financial breakdown of what other businesses in their community were costing them that they thought were making them money, you know, local liquor, local liquor store, you know and the law enforcement that it required, and the jail that it required, and the broken families, and the child support, and the this is all coming out of the town's pocket. They're losing money, losing money, losing money, losing money, losing money, through all these other venues that they think, hey, we're making money. And he says, okay, you, I come into town, and yeah, you don't charge me the same amount of money, but I'm doing everything I can with my church to repair all of that. I'm trying. I, I'm I'm here helping you recover money from your silly decisions. They gave him. They gave him the property. No questions asked. You know. I, I'm here to help you financially. Hey, we we look at these things sometimes in the the wrong perspective. You know, from God's perspective, He's saying this is your greatest benefit right here. Invest in the kingdom and see what it produces in your life and in your family and in your community. I wish the world would view those things a little bit differently. So. Don't forsake, forsake the Levite who was within your gates. He has no inheritance with you. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out of the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow are within your gates, may come and eat and be satisfied. And the Lord your God may bless you in all the work that your hand that your hand, which you do. So this concept of God making this great collection is not selfish at all. God isn't saying, I want you to bring it in. It's going to be stored up. I'm not going to be satisfied until the coffers are full and overflowing. And I want to see this much. And I want to see that. I want to have this investment and that investment. God is saying there are needs. 
and, and all that you bring in, I want to make sure that they're going to those needs and caring for the people, especially the most vulnerable in your communities. <clears throat> I am uh, uh, a child who grew up without a dad, my mother raising us as a widow. Um, and, you know, I've looked into this from a personal perspective and, uh, you know, a national and historical perspective. Fatherless children end up being a great liability to a culture. A great liability. Look, look at the prison statistics. Look at the drug addicts. Look at all that end up in really bad places. Investing in them helps prevent that. And I'm not talking about just the endless resources of the social justice warriors who just want to flush money down the toilet. Okay? I'm talking about getting personally involved. Helping and being part. God has this mindset. We need to be close to Him. We need to learn from Him. We need to understand from Him, and then we need to imitate Him in our behavior, in our culture, and in the lives of the people that He's referring to here. Amen. Amen. Old Testament stuff, very practical. New Testament applications. If we'll trust the Lord and follow them. So we'll pick up with chapter fifteen next week. Why don't we stand and we'll pray. Lord God, you are so good to us, and we are so grateful. I pray that you would minister to each one of us this morning and help us to understand the things that you are saying to us personally and individually. And again, fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would live according to these things, that we would find practical applications of the doing in our lives. Watch over us, bless us, keep us. Until we are together again, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.